Hello and welcome to the all-new Different Game Football Analytics Podcast. I'm Paul Riley at Football Fat Man on Twitter, and as usual, I'm joined by my pal Richie Shepherd at the Ginger Piglet. Hello, Richie. Hi. How are you? I'm smashing. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Overworked, but uh, I'm good. Underpaid? I don't think you're underpaid. Um, don't about that. <laughs> <laughs> Have you enjoyed the uh, little break in the football? I don't feel like there has been a break. Um, I was on holiday, so I'd have been missing most of it or maybe seeing the odd game. But my my break, my week in Tenerife coincided with the international break and um, it didn't feel like I missed out on anything. But it does seem like a long time ago since there was any Prem stuff. It does. It does. So the new, show f- the, new, the, new, the, the new show format is to talk about three subjects for 10 minutes each. We'll be using data models and our eyes to assess what's going on, on and off the pitch at Premier League football clubs. That's right, folks. We have all the numbers, but we actually watch the games too. So this week, Richie, three topics. You've persuaded me to go for a bit of an expected goals 101 again because we had a few questions after last week. Yeah, it just made sense. Um, rather than answering those individually, trying trying to you know go back to basics and maybe enlightening a, a few might might be a good good avenue of responding collectively. Obviously, the old schools might raise their eyebrows a bit and be a bit bored of it, but I think we've got quite a few newbies, especially on Twitter and hopefully on the pod too, so we are going to go back, so it's just the way it is. Second topic, one close to your heart. How much danger are West Ham in and why? Yeah. Mm. And the last one, are Norwich doomed? So, expected goals after last week, the questions they came running in ask you a question what is expected goals it's the expected goals you would score from the shots locations you've taken yep that's the basic way of putting it and it matters and it matters because what wins football matches is goals goals you don't even need any data for that do you you just know that goals win matches but how do you get goals you get goals by shooting so obviously not every shot is the same and the biggest driver for how often a shot is scored is how close it is to the goal Richie it's all rocket science so far isn't it it all makes sense to me okay and the main thing that correlates with winning is the chances that you have against the chances that you concede so we have all the data going back 10 years so you're able to go back in history and find out what each kind of shot how often it went in goal, where that shot was from, whether it was from a header, whether it was a foot shot, whether it bounced in off someone's arse, whether it was from a cross. All those details can go into the model so we get to know how regularly those kinds of shots are scored. If we work that out on a team basis, that works out pretty well with how a team actually does over time. Really high correlation with how well that team finishes in the league table over a season, over a season and a half, over two years. The longer you go, the better it starts to correlate. Have I missed anything out? The question I'm already asking is, is how short a time period or number of games would be too short to assess a team's relative strength? Okay, You'll probably get a different answer on that depending on who you talk to. I think it gives you a pretty quick indication of how decent a team are, maybe over 10 games or so. And things start to even out from that point in in a season. However, it might not always eke out in a season. It might go on to a season and a half, as I say. So like with 
with Leicester or surprise things like that you either get good conversion on the chances that you have or the chances that you concede for Leicester it was they were defensively very good Schmeichel had a really good season they got a bit lucky and it lasted the whole season but as we saw in the season after that started to fizzle out and they kind of plateaued back to where they should have been does that make sense yeah I'm not sure you can plateau back but (laughs) (laughs) fucking hell you're in trouble if I'm giving you definitions of words (laughs) It's because I've gone off my notes. Yeah, of course, yeah. I, I can't. You're just a script man, aren't you? I mean, Les did say this. I was totally off script for that, anyway. So what yeah. I was... We had a few questions that you gave me. So Kane versus Aguero from last week. We had Kane as a better finisher than Aguero. So I got asked to take penalties out. So I took him out. Kane, you take the penalties out. Kane looks like an even better finisher. An all-round finisher. When we're talking about finishes, we're also talking about not just, you know, one-on-ones with the keeper. We're talking about from all angles. And obviously Kane's taking shots from a wider range of places than Aguero is. And he's showing a wider range and ability to be able to do that. You asked me whether it was counter-attackers that were getting the higher range of best finishing, if you like. Not necessarily... The biggest overperformers are basically people who shoot from distance more but are good at doing it. So the biggest overperformers that I picked out are Son, Hazard, Bale and Yaya Torre. So every time they hit a shot on average they're they're shooting at 7 to 9% chances. So a less than 1 in 10 chance of it going in. But obviously they're better than the average player at doing that. If you liken it to forwards, Kane and Vardy are the only out-and-out strikers anywhere near those guys on overperformance. Vardy, every time he hits a shot, you're looking at a 15% chance of it going in because of where he's taking them and the kind of situations he's getting them in. And Kane is, is 12. The only other guy near them with big chances as that is Mane. And obviously Vardy and Mane like balls in behind, 1v1s on the counter. So Kane, I think, is basically the best all round from everywhere or you were asking where Diego Costa was he is an overperformer from expected goals as well 23% above the average from 255 shots and he in fact has got the biggest expected goals per shot out of anyone in the sample strikers wise every chance that he gets is 16 chance of going in and I've got this shot maps here Richie can you see those yes can you so Diego Costa loads and loads in and around the six yard box really close to goal even more than your average striker there was a few shots outside the box even that surprised me I just don't remember him shooting outside the box but no they I mean I think he probably took a few free kicks in his time but pretty much nearly everything there's 200 and odd shots there and there's over 200 of them are in the box and then there's a whole big big cluster around the six yard box around the penalty spot as we're talking about you know xg 101 obviously i've been a bit more versed in this what i've read and the like but the wider the angle obviously the, the narrow the angle for the attacker and that, that that starts to as you move away from the width of the goalpost the, these numbers expected goals so the 16 percent chance suddenly goes down a lot quicker the wider you get yeah, and I'll send these out on the Twitter page as well. So talked about Hazard a minute ago and 
how on average his shots were like between seven and nine percent chances and you'll see that on on the shot map there lots of chances from wide very few from anywhere close in than the penalty spot they're all kind of wide places in and outside the box but because he's so good he's able to finish them which not many people are but you can really see the difference between the kind of shots that they get off the wide forward profile as opposed to a proper out and out centre forward who gets between the width of the goal that makes sense that's to me cool we was then asked to do Christian Benteke poor old Christian Benteke and I'm guessing we got asked to do this because he's barely had a goal since 2016-17 season so up until the end of 16-17 he was overperforming his expected goals he had 56 goals actual total from the shots he'd taken he was expected to get 51 so he was five over now three years on he's got 59 goals so just three more from 63 expected goals so basically he's had enough shots since then to score 12 but he's only got three down to 94 percent now so i was quite interested by that 94 percent figure because i had a quick look round. We talked about Jermaine Defoe last week, who was seen as out-and-out goal scorer. I think everyone would pretty much agree that he's a decent finisher. Agreed? Mm, yeah. Sound more convinced, please? Mm. <laughs> and he was at 98% of expected goals. But he's not considered a donkey like Benteke probably is. What do you reckon? That's probably perception of stature you know he, he seems more alive you know around the penalty box Benteke being six foot I don't know he's six three is he six four mm. big physical presence it probably doesn't endear yourself to the eyes as much so you would say he looks like the old classic fox in the box Defoe because he's in and around the penalty area and he sniffed the chance with his movement whereas Benteke seems more up and down it's it's going to be presented to him the chance rather than any movement he's done to create that chance so I had a little bit of an inkling that you were going to say something like that, Richie. So I had a look at Peter Crouch. So who do you think people would say is more of a donkey? Peter Crouch or Christian Benteke? Who's got more respect, do you think? Peter Crouch. 88% of XG Peter Crouch finished, so Benteke is quite a bit better than him at finishing. Benteke's got a few years to run yet. He still might dip below him. <laughs> for the purposes of this he better hurry up and retire to prove me right but I just it, thought it was interesting how you know I'd say Crouch would be way more respected than Benteke yet Benteke even though he's had this huge goal drought for two three years now he's still way way above Peter Crouch do we do we do we need steps bond to go back in time and and do Shearer for us to give us some sort of a you know a homery some sort of a it would be nice they've done messy haven't they but they need to yeah, go <laughs> but you know, to bring it back to something we could let's, let's go below superhuman let's go a little bit below <laughs> see we get you know the elite in in the prem we've seen let's see what they do and, and give us some sort of baseline we can compare you know how do his numbers look already would be would be a great comparison come on stats bump for my eyes Kane is the best all-round finisher I've seen since Shearer. As Shearer scored his goals, you know, he would be brilliant in the box, brilliant outside the box. Everyone you say what a brilliant cross Shearer was and Kane's delivery is his top draw as well. He, he's the closest I think I've seen uh, from an English perspective. Just happens to play the Spurs. Talking of Spurs, West Ham play Spurs on Saturday, Richie. Yeah, they, they do, yeah, apparently so. Shall we move on to your, your chums, West Ham? 
Yes. And you're saying how in danger are they? You watch them. You tell me, mate. You obviously get caught up in the emotion when it's your team a little bit and, and you maybe over-apply the positives and oversell the negatives to, to a degree, you know, depending which way you're feeling, you know, we're, we're totally against this or we're totally for this. So it's always extremes. I've, I've gone back at a few games and tried to look at it from a objective viewpoint and I didn't like what I saw. Um, <laughs> it was horrible, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I, I was flicking through and not, and watching passages and then and then watching other passages so not seeing the whole game or, you know I'm not going to pretend I was in terms of that but actually watching them try to get that objective view didn't feel like Noble touched the ball in some of the games that's interesting because um, I've got him down as a missing person for the last two games that I've seen him play nowhere to be seen I mean I thought his legs went four years ago but when he was out the team we looked weaker than when he was in it so even though I thought his legs had gone four years ago He's a, he was a better midfielder than those around us because we looked a better team. Now, I don't know if it's tactical. You know, Rice seems to be the one to try and recycle the ball from uh, the defenders to, to the wider midfield players. And he's maybe trying to drag players away to create that. So, you know, I'm not necessarily criticising Noble. It could well be that he's just Noble. But irrespective of, of what I think, he's still being picked every week by various managers that have been at West Ham now for a period of, you know, considerable period of time so they must be seeing a hell of a lot in training to keep picking him if everyone else seems to say he shouldn't be playing or his legs are gone so interesting the big concern for me was is that we i'll say we as west Ham, we seem to get the ball eventually into a, a decent area uh, being wired but he's always a cross and there is only heller in there and these crosses are at best speculative it's almost like i'm going to put it in the area i expect heller to be and it's quite often marked by three players mm. We don't seem to penetrate. I don't seem to have any shots. You know, we, I quite like Haller, what I've seen of him. First game I saw, uh, um, held the ball up well, even against City, you know, got around got around the pitch, held up the ball, players into the game. And I don't think anyone's given him any service. I really don't. Interesting that you've mainly focused on the attack there. What do you think about the defence? Um, the defensive side of things? The games I've watched, I mean, I'm not sure what, what exactly the, the, the tactic is defensively. The way West Ham players are if you're going to play Lanzini, Anderson Snodgrass, Fornells they're, they're, they're probably more forward thinking have you got enough protection with Noble has he, got, has he got the legs, he seems to be trying to play like an 8, he may be better playing the 6 and playing two sixes almost, it feels like you know someone's trying to join in and any time the ball's turned over you feel West Ham under a bit of a threat I just think West Ham are playing too many forward-thinking players. The games I've watched, Rice has pretty much been on his own in the middle. It's like 4-1-4-1. And Noble was kind of making a show of coming back. But as you say, his legs have gone. He had to go off injured in the last game. But I think when Lanzini has come on, he's the only one of those forward-thinking players that actually drops in alongside Rice properly. And you can actually start to build some proper moves up and pull players out I think that's his natural bent is to come and get the ball come he's always come into the ball and, and I think that is also a bit of a problem with West Ham to a degree they're kind of easy to play against because there's never you never ter- ever turn any defense around and they're having the ball but they're never ever getting behind any team no. never ever getting behind any team the only time uh, yeah, the, the bits I've watched clips I've watched uh, you know and I've watched a fair few games seems to be in Fredericks plays seems to be that there is a, a willing runner that has got the legs he has got mm. the pace 
and that pace when the overlap comes he, he can just drag another player away and they can get touches in the box otherwise it seems even Yarmolenko some of his it seems like you know he's run out of ideas it's going to be across it's going to be across it hammered home to me a little bit you know yeah we are, we are a little bit in danger but I will temper that with in the first goal in, in, in the last two games um, have, have come following I thought poor refereeing decisions the, the divers cast and you can't have that you can't say the first goal determines the game it, it does shape the game but it shouldn't determine the game Blaming the referees, Richie. Post- Why not? It works on telly. <laughs> so I posted a graphic on Twitter that showed how many chances they were conceding, even when they were winning, and they were just getting away with it. Was was your line that um, West Ham were lucky that the finishing was so poor? Was it something long as that you was putting on Twitter? Yeah, I just said well, how how long are West Ham going to get away with conceding this many chances and this many good chances? And I wasn't I wasn't sure if it was the tweet was aimed at me or the general. No, just in general. It, it, Okay, I feel it like it was aimed at me. Okay, no, so personal, but well, it was the week before they played Everton. So, <laughs> well, since then they've drawn two and lost four. And as a numbers board, I'm going to say it was always coming, and that's kind of a double whammy as well because West Ham have kind of got away with similar in the past because Fabianski is one of the best shot stoppers in the league and has been for a very, very, very long time, and obviously he's not around at the minute. And he's going to be out for some time. He's coming back. Do we know when he's coming back? It can't come quick couple, enough. Couple, couple of weeks. Really? Yep. I thought he was more injured than that. But that can't happen soon enough. I was looking at the shot quality as well. Um, so they have tightened up a tiny bit, West Ham, in terms of conceding less chances and... The chances they do concede are harder chances to score, if you like. But I was, I looked at the numbers before and I thought, mm, yeah, makes sense. So they've seen what's going wrong and they've fixed it. But I don't, from watching it, I don't think the numbers quite reflect how bad West Ham have still been. You you have and a I problem want, with them from corners, don't you? Set pieces. We do have a problem with set pieces, but just from watching, it's not just those either. It's just the. The fact that when the ball turns over and West Ham are stuck up the other end of the picture of all these attackers who ain't going to turn around and come back and out, they just look extremely vulnerable through the middle as soon as they lose the ball. So I was originally going to say that West Ham aren't in danger, but I'm not so sure anymore, Richie. I don't understand the team that he's picking. I don't understand how he can see that every week and not fix the problem. So he's been slotting Snodgrass in into a more central position to try and help Rice out because he's the only one who actually works and closes down. But it's not his natural position. You've got a look in at your squad. You have The only person I can see on the bench who would fill that midfield hole normally would be Carlos Sanchez, but you can't get a game. OK, so we're beckoning with your money to go down. It's not going to be mine. No, I'm not saying they're going to go down, but I just don't see... Do you see him changing it up to, to tighten it up at all? Or do you just think he'd just keep going and rely on the fact that he's no, got some he, good attackers he, that are match very, winners every he's now? He's a very attack-minded manager. I think he was at Man City. Um, I don't think he'll change. Whether they've got the personnel to change, I don't know. It doesn't um, look like it. they have, because if Carlos Sanchez is your only option, and they won't, they he literally won't put him there, he'd rather put Snodgrass there who's always done his best work kind of out wide. 
on either side and he's been like shoved into the middle and I don't understand why like Lanzini isn't starting over Anderson or Fornals but even so as soon as he's on the pitch you look better and he looks like the best player there's easing him in and you know you've not won a game in six surely he's got to start playing West Ham are going to play that. I don't think that formation is going to change. Anderson isn't pulling up trees at the moment. I mean, he breezes past players brilliantly. He's got to be one of the best progressors of the ball, the way he does it. Um, but I don't think there's any doubt anymore. You know what he's going to do. He gets to 35 yards out. He feels the defender, or retreating midfielder, um, coming back to him. And he, he tries that little nutmeg, turn back inside. If that comes off, then he's he's looking around. I don't know. I don't know what team he thinks he's playing with, as if they're on a different wavelength to him. But he's trying something that no one else seems to read, or he, he does something you're not expecting. It's just not just not being good enough. What I've seen from him, there's no doubt in the defender's brain what he's doing anymore. He's never going. He never attacks a fullback. And is he going past him, left or right? You don't see that anymore. Heller's very isolated. Very yeah. isolated. I was surprised that you know Heller's obviously a good target man and he's tall geezer and he's physical and he's well built for the prem but i haven't really seen west ham try and build from the back at all all the goal kicks are long goal kicks everything's just lobbed at him roberto has got a tremendous kick and fabian's got a decent kick so i don't know if that's deliberate or not but even when they play short i think they can get the balls of the wide guys but it's recycling without anything really happening. I don't know if there's any pace in terms of recycling the ball, going from left to right and moving the ball around. It, it doesn't seem to be... Well, this is what I keep saying, going back to Rice, I feel like he's on his own and there's no one else in there unless it's Lanzini dropping in. And when he does, look a different team. Because Noble ain't doing it when he's playing. Um, and I just don't see how he can watch that game and not start like that. I pulled up West Ham's pressing stats this week. There's no, there is no pressing. No. So the graphic will show you, the, and I'll put this on Twitter, if it's reddish or red in the areas, that that's where you're forcing the opposition to go back or making them make a mistake into giving the ball away. West Ham's entire outfield is white and blue. And they're, they're literally the most fragile team in the league on my pressing measures. So that backs up what you're saying in terms of the wide guys not getting back. You watch someone like Aston Villa that seemed to play a bit of an attacking verve, but when it breaks down, there's there's guys running back, working hard, get, trying to get yeah. goal side. And that, that's probably the difference between the two, Claret and Blue Merchants here. Yeah. I mean, if West Ham didn't have the attacking talent they have, I'd think they'd be in real trouble. I still think they're in semi-trouble now. I'm not sure what the attacking talent is actually bringing to the table at the moment. It's not, but it's, it's quite individualistic, isn't it? So Yarmolenko's, I think, probably, possibly even more talented than Anderson is. He's certainly more direct and he'll hit more shots and put the ball in more dangerous areas. But again, you can't afford to have two, three out of your four front players doing that and not doing anything going the other way. Yeah. Um, I, I watched him la- live last year, Anderson against Liverpool, and all I kept saying to me, power was, he's cheating, he's cheating, Anderson. Like, he hasn't tracked. If they score, it's going to be his fault. And, and we won the ball when he went straight to Anderson. Went, oh, come on, Anderson. Yeah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> straight put me fan head straight back on. Come on, here we go. Um, you know, I just... Uh, From an outsider it, looking in, it just looks a bit of a mess to me. Yeah, it's, it's hard to accept when you're watching it yourself. But actually trying to do a forensic uh, analysis of them, as I was trying to do through, you know, 
my eyelids were quite sharp through me my fingers and my hands. Um, it wasn't it wasn't pretty. But are they as bad as Norwich, Richie? Our last team that we're going to look at today. Well, let's let's look at the evidence. Okay, so my expected goal difference table tells me that they are dead last, mate. The worst defence in terms of the chances they concede, and they've only got the 17th best attack out of 20 in the Premier League as well. It's not really a good mix. What have you made of them so far? I went back and watched um, the Man City game again. Because, good game. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> good game. I mean, when you, when you look at it again... It doesn't seem that great. I mean, they managed to get out a lot more than maybe some of the other games they've played since. But they play in very dangerous areas, um, which will be anyone who knows how I play with my reserves. is almost seems like I'm, I'm taking the piss out of myself because I ask my players to play like that. They play in dangerous areas. No real long balls. They're not turning the team around. So very similar to West Ham in that respect. They don't seem to take a lot of shots. I wouldn't say there was a crossing team. So they're still trying to work that chance. Um, and if you do want to press them, you can probably press them into a mistake as well because you think their players ain't, ain't necessarily good enough to beat the press. Yeah, from what I've seen, they look like the worst organised defensive team that I've seen in a long time in the Premier League, Richie. Well, they, they scored a lot of goals last year. I mean, you know I'm a bit of a betting man and my, my bet was going to be back them over three and a half goals every game this season because they were conceding Back in the championship games. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Against against weak, you know, we're talking about forty six games against opposition that isn't as good as what what they're going to become against this year. So I was, uh, yeah, I always thought they was going to concede goals. Yeah, so they've conceded nearly two hundred shots already, sixteen to seventeen shots per game. How does that compare to your, your, yeah, what you'd say, Sheffield United? We talked spoke about last week. Right, that is a good question. So, shots against Norwich, 198. Sheffield United are 128. So, they've conceded 70 more shots. So, we're talking about six or seven per game. Yep, and they are better quality shots for the opposition than Sheffield United let up as well. So, it's a bit of a double whammy. Yep. It really, really, really does not look good. So, I was looking at their defence. I mean, the whole team is structured badly in defence, um, all 11 of them, but the back four is made up of two 21-year-olds, a 19-year-old, and a midfielder playing centre-half because they haven't got anyone else, which is not great. Yep. None. They're pretty much like West Ham. They're the kind of three behind Pookie aren't all that interested in in defending so at the minute it's Hernandez Buendia and Steepermans I mean Buendia in particular is absolutely awful in terms of coming back the other way good progression of the ball though he is he does carry the ball extremely well but he does tend to overdo it and give it away the fullbacks are absolutely phenomenally forward and probably the way they progress the ball most so you've got fullbacks high up, always in the final third. So again, when Norwich lose the ball, they're absolutely hopeless. And even though they've got two in, in central midfield, they're pulled out wide and there's a huge, huge gap in central midfield every time the ball turns over. And you just 
look at it and think, surely you have got to do something about this. It isn't working. They just really remind me of when I used to watch Bundesliga a few years ago and it was everyone was pressing and it was like a schoolboy game where we yep. just we just back and forth it and we'll see who wins in the end. And Bundesliga still like that. <laughs> I think it's got a little bit better than that, but these obviously they've got Daniel Farkin. So are they, are they pressing well, Norwich? They well flanks wise in the final third, yeah, they're pretty good. But as soon as that gets broken the rest of it looks like West Ham's does. They look even bluer on my pressing scale than West Ham do everywhere else. So you can see the graphic there again. I'll send it out for the listeners. So yeah. out wide, because they have, they play more or less wide forwards and the, the full backs push up. When the ball is up there, they do win it back or force it into a mistake. But if the opposition manage to get around that, they're just dead. And every time in transition, when the ball turns over, the other team win it back quickly and they're running back to their own goal. They just look absolutely all over the place. So so for you, no hope for Norwich? I don't think so. There, there is one chink of hope, actually, is that they're still only four points off safety. So, you know, a win and their mm. slight build of confidence. So even though they do look bad on the numbers and they are bottom of the league on the numbers and bottom of the league in real life, there's teams down there that haven't managed to pull away from them. But I don't trust many of these managers to change their ways, Richie, do you? No, because it's all about an identity. and what, why An I'm, identity I'm, of losing the game every week? No, no. It, I was being kind of sarcastic there that <laughs> everyone needs to have an identity because Chris Wilder's got an identity and it works, so he's successful. Daniel Fark's got an identity and it doesn't appear to be working at the moment. So that's wrong. So it always suits a narrative. I've I've got a way I want to play, and why I'm not a good manager is I don't say steadfastly refuse, but I'm reluctant <laughs> to change what I do, and that probably doesn't suit the players I've got on the like. You know, I could be definitely be more pragmatic in terms of our returns I manage, and you know the little bit of coaching I do, I can definitely do more in that respect. But these guys are paid big bucks and they're not doing it. So, you know, I'm just emulating what the guys on TV do. Um, I, I, unfortunately, I can't get sacked. I've still got to do the reserves. <laughs> I just, I, it's really a foreign idea to me. Obviously, we've known each other 20 years. Yeah, but you've, we spoke about this last year. You've come round to my way of thinking. We, we and have I've come merged, round to yours. We have but merged we, we still together would, a little we, bit. Yeah, we still would be divergent in our ideas. Yeah, as much as I like what you say, I'm still doing more or less this way. I, don't, I just don't get the fact that if you're not, if you're as a coach or a manager like you are, and your players can't play that way, it must drive you insane. I don't see how you would get any fun out of it. And because I don't just want to see us lumping it and trying to win a header and not winning a header, and then just with the ball coming back to us anyway. So when we do it well and we beat the press. And we move the boy out our like us too. And, and a lot of it is, you know, trying to get probably four, five, six touches to get the ball to the 10 or the two wide guys if we play that way, uh, 4 2 three, one, where we've got four, maybe five players now going towards goal. And when, when it works off and you, and you do that quick passing and the communication's good, the movement's good, it is so pleasing. It, it, it is really it is true. I wouldn't know what that was. <laughs> um, it is, but it, from memory, it is better. You know, and I probably have sex more than we actually beat the press. So, you know, it's uh, it's one of those. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, quickly going back to Norwich. 
Um, Todd Cantwell. When he comes on, they look better to me, a bit like the Lanzini situation. I said to you about Cantwell a good few weeks ago when we was having a look at, at yeah. players. How is this kid not starting in that team? Because he brings energy, he keeps hold of the ball well, and he can't get a game. I just find yeah. that well, I, I saw the Watford, I saw the Watford game, and I wonder if his confidence is shot. Um, he he took free kick, um, and I don't know if if you saw the one on Twitter where the geezer took the penalty and he hit the the light in the stand and that fell down. <laughs> but his free kick was, was four times higher than that. You, it, it, you cleared, it cleared out, every light. I thought he played really well when he came on. And then but, you've picked out the only bit where he yeah, and he pulled straight out. <laughs> so uh, he may have kept the ball, and sometimes keeping the ball is safe. But when he he tried to do something different in terms of two deliveries, they were they were awful. And it said to me maybe his confidence is a little bit shot. <laughs> Just looking at the numbers here. So this dominance league thing that I have, where you have to get whole goals of whole expected goals. Uh, to qualify for a goal. So the only game they've actually dominated enough to say yes they were deserved to probably win the game was against Newcastle. So one game in 12 that they've dominated on the shot count which as we said at the beginning of the show that's what it's all about at the end of the day and that is literally why they are bottom of the league because they continually ship in shots on goal while not getting too much on target themselves. And if you look at the expected goals against from the beginning goals of the season in date order it looks like they're getting worse in defence Richie there's three games they've had where they should have conceded three goals or more which is really high yeah yeah. even I recognise that <laughs> not good I think they're going down I don't think there's any hope for them having said that they're coming to Goodison on Saturday <laughs> <laughs> so that should be fun shouldn't it yeah. If I think Everton should be smashing them out of sight, then that's a measure of how bad. Would I you would you are. accept uh, a large XG win and a draw? What for Everton? Yeah. <laughs> no. Okay, less about XG, mate. It's about three points <laughs> on the board. <laughs> Pragmatic to the end. Yeah. Anything else you want to say, yep. dude? No. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about Tottenham next time out. Um, and I suppose the. The first question we'll be asking is, what has changed under the first game of Mourinho's tenure? Yeah, we'll talk, everyone's talking about it this week, so we'll give your ears a bit of a rest off that and we'll talk about it next week instead. Okay, Richie, see you later. Yeah, catch you later, mate. Bye-bye. <laughs>